Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of currently streaming horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews may include mild spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. Today's reviews of the zombie film The Girl with All the Gifts, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Adapted from the novel of the same name, The Girl with All the Gifts tells the tale of a group of survivors searching for a cure to a zombie apocalypse, but there's more to one of their group members than meets the eye. And to help break down this unique take on the zombie genre is returning resident zombie expert, Bernie. Welcome back, man. I appreciate it, buddy. I uh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to leave the house after watching this movie, but I appreciate you having me on at least. So this is a movie that I had only seen once before, and it's been... I probably saw it just when it came out and I hadn't really thought about it again. And I'm really interested to hear how you experienced it on a first watch, because even for me who had seen it previously, it's such a jarring beginning to the movie. Like that first 15 minutes of the movie, if you go into it and you just think it's going to be kind of a traditional zombie movie, it's very, very jarring to kind of like your normal expectations for a zombie movie. But what did you think of that cold open? Honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head. I was very confused. I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, Because again, to your point, this isn't a traditional zombie movie by any stretch, right? Um, But, you know, I I don't think we even realize what's going on until about like 15, 20 minutes into the movie where um, I think it was Sergeant Eddie who put, um, he like spit on his arm and then all the kids started to kind of growl at him. That's, I think, when we started realizing, okay, like, you know, these aren't just normal kids and this isn't some kind of like a, a weird war camp or something like that. Like there's there's something deeper to this that's going on. So I think the way that the director and the kind of story built off that was was pretty jarring to your point. Yeah, because the film opens up and it's these kids that are in prison cells, essentially. And then these soldiers are walking through the hallways. They're pointing guns at these kids. And you're like, what is this all about? Is this some kind of like you said, war camp? And it's even just like before you even see what's happening or a guard shows up with a gun, you hear the soldiers shouting at them and they're saying like, wake up, you friggin' abortions and all this super harsh language. And it's just it is very jarring because you go into it and you're expecting, OK, I've watched I don't know how many years worth of zombie movies. We kind of have these preconceived notions of how zombie movies play out. Right. There's a group of survivors. The ro- zombies are either running or walking you got to take them out. You want to find a cure kind of thing. And to start the film in a way that is so foreign to the kind of typical prototypical zombie movie, I think is a really smart way to reinvigorate a genre that I think has been oversaturated for a long time, not to kind of like get on a soapbox about it. But I mean, a lot of zombie movies, it's kind of like a dime a dozen kind of thing. And to start the movie and have the angle be like focused on kids is such a bizarre concept. And yet the more you unpack it, the more it really creates this own identity for a zombie movie that we is able to surprise at least me in ways that I would never expect a zombie movie to. Well, I mean the, the thing too, that, that I found fascinating about this, I, I, I'm a big kind of zombie junkie in that sense, but I've never heard of this movie before you mentioned it. Uh, maybe I'd like browsed past it on Netflix or something, but I didn't really kind of give it to any second thought um but again you know when you go through that first 15 20 minutes and you're you're just more so confused i think than anything else about what exactly is going on and then it starts playing out where sergeant eddie um 
you know, he wheel, uh, rolls Melanie out in her kind of wheelchair um, out onto the, the surface level area. And then you start to kind of hear, um, you know, army guys running around. There's a siren kind of blaring right. And um, you're starting to understand that, okay, maybe Melanie, again, isn't as um, necessarily nice or harmless as we thought she was. Um, she does growl a little bit at, at Helen, but we don't really, again, still fully understand what we're dealing with until we see that, um, you know, it kind of reminded me of the walking dead when they're at the prison, you just see a wall of zombies that are trying to break through and a bunch of people shooting at them. Um, so, I mean, at that point, um, I think the picture starts to become clear that, you know, again, Dr. Caroline is trying to experiment on Melanie in some sort of way to, to find a cure. Um, and it's very interesting because, again, as the movie progresses, you think that Dr. Caroline is, you know, is kind of a hero in this, but she starts to do things that make her more of a villain. And I think that kind of trajectory starts where she basically, she puts Melanie on that gurney and, uh, you know, is about to, I forget the the medical term that she was going to do, but she was going to like take her brain out and, and her. Spot. Yeah. They were going to dissect her brain basically. Yeah. Very, very nice way to, to be eating a steak and cheese sandwich and watching a movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I should have given you a heads up. That's my fault, but you're the resident zombie expert, man. You should be used to, uh, grotesque scenes such as that that's that's a very fair point that's rookie mistake on my end but um to that effect i mean seeing that scene right where um you have uh dr salkirk uh dr caroline and then melanie are in um are in that like little hospital wing right um and helen comes through and and she basically threatens to save melanie's life um, by hurting the other two doctors and, and she kind of gets, you know, rushed away by the, the, the army folks see that scene where that little kind of metallic wall is coming down. Um, that, that little sheet metal stuff. Right. And yeah. It's like a shutter, the shutter. Yeah. And you see those zombies breaking through in the background, but you don't hear it yet. That just, that gave me such anxiety, but also it just, it's such a cool scene to, to see that. What was your kind of thought when you were watching that in its kind of totality? Yeah. I mean, that is a really pivotal moment. And I, like you, I think that scene is really well shot because you see the danger before you hear it. And it's usually the opposite. Uh, usually you can hear the zombies coming before you see them. And so to kind of have this mob of zombies rushing towards characters and you can't hear them, but you see them getting closer and closer. And it, it creates that sense of like, you want to almost shout out to the characters, like watch out they're behind you a moment kind of like that. Um, so that is a really great moment, but I think it's even more of a pivotal scene because up until then we haven't really seen zombies in action. We see them behind the gate and whatnot. And the soldiers are constantly like shooting at them, trying to uh, quell the herd as it were. Um, but up until that point, again, like that first 15 minutes where there's the twist, right. And that the kids somehow are infected. And yet, unless they can smell you, they're just normal like you and I, but if they begin to smell you, then they start to change into zombies and they try to eat human flesh and things like that. And again, though, like, I think there's such a, almost like a perverse, uh, portrayal of zombies in that this idea that these kind of like sweet, innocent looking kids are the most dangerous thing in the world at this point where they blend in. Like if you were a survivor, 
and you were walking through downtown London and you saw that kid from afar, you'd probably run up and try to help. But then as soon as they got a, your, uh, your scent, they try to eat you. Like it's, it's a very unique take on a classic kind of horror genre. Um, and I think that the way that they go about doing that and exploring the relationships and the complex relationships, because again, I think for a majority of zombie movies, character relationships are not always the complex kind of focal point. But again, this perception that characters have of the child hybrids, as they're called. Um, I, th- I mean, in this world, they call the zombies hungries. They kind of avoid that mortal zombie sin of a uh, zombie movie sin of like being like, oh, there's zombies or something like that. Uh, so they come up with that creative name in air quotes, creative, uh, the hungries. And I just think it's an interesting dynamic and it adds a lot of tension to characters rather than having the main point of tension being like there's zombies out there and they're threatening. It's more about like perceiving a class of zombies as actual like people. Right. And I mean, to that point too, right. Um, the, the child aspect of the, you know, the hungries as they call them, you've seen it in black summer and you've seen it in resident evil where characters will, will see, you know, again, the, the dreaded Z word, but they'll see the zombie kids, right? And they'll end up getting, unfortunately, to- torn up uh, after that due to that, right? Because um, they let their guard down. Um, the thing that I found fascinating in, in this particular movie was that a lot of the times zombies are kind of peripheral to the danger of what's going on. It ends up being a human conflict. Um, whereas this is kind of a human conflict, but at its core, again, it ends up coming down to the humans kind of against Melanie in a sense, right? So um, it's, again, to, to your point about this being such a, a unique take on on zombies, I think they explore a lot of things that we don't typically find in zombie movies, but they do it in a way that's still very relatable to the zombie movies that we're used to. Yeah, and I think, and I would agree that that comes into play a lot when you have these characters that are, it's mostly struggles between the humans, right? Like you said, the zombies are kind of peripheral to the real conflict of the narrative. And that's how we treat the hybrid children that are both human and zombie. They're part, they're half and half. And we kind of learn in that disturbing uh, little monologue from Glenn Close's character, Dr. Caroline, when she talks about how these hybrid children essentially were born, quote unquote, from infected women, but the, they weren't, the infected women didn't give birth, rather their wombs or their uh, fetuses became infected and then ate their way out of their mothers, which is just like so horrific, like to even think about. But uh, that's one of those moments where you're conflicted kind of between and you understand the conflict these characters face in that half of them, like the soldiers just want to kill all of them, essentially, but they're beholden to the science community or the remaining scientists in that we have to synthesize a vaccine. And the only way we can do that is to decapitate and study these seemingly children. But then you kind of have the uh, maternal instincts of the teacher who is uh, uh, Helen. And it's just like, it's, it's nurture versus nature in a lot of different ways. This idea that like Glenn Close's character, Dr. Caroline's willing to do whatever it takes, even if she has to dissect every single hybrid child She's going to do that to try to find a cure. And yet Helen is the one that she can't help the fact that like she begins to see them as actually people. And that's what 
causes and sends them into constant conflict and chaos throughout the film. Well, let me ask you, I mean, so there are obviously, like you said, two camps in this, which camp would you fall on? Cause they both have merits to some degree. Um, I, I definitely have my camp that I'm very much in, but uh, what, what do you think you would, where would you fall in the, the, the side of science or the side of like those army guys? I would probably fall in between the army response and the science response because obviously I'm human. I want to be able to synthesize a vaccine. And I mean, we'll get into the ending direction that the film goes in, but I don't know why they have so many of those kids in the same room at once. You know what I mean? Like when they they give us a, a in that opening 15 minutes, we see Helen teaching a class and there's like 30 kids that are strapped into wheelchairs with their head and arms and legs restrained so they can't get out. But the idea that you would have that many in one room I f- and she even like unlocks their arms at one point so they can write. I feel like that's just a recipe for disaster at a certain point. Um, so I would probably be a little more diligent in like how I'm going to deal with containment and things like that. Also, the one thing that I didn't understand was with the military base, right? When they go up to the top of the, the ground level of the base, we see like hordes and hordes of zombies trying to break in. And yet all the soldiers are like running around and they're drawing attention to the fact that there's people there. So I didn't understand why they didn't just all go underground, pretend like nobody's there. And then the zombie hordes would probably move away or migrate to a different place. Well, like to, to your point on that, if when they, um, when Sergeant Eddie, Caroline, Melanie, like that whole group, they got to London, they, they're looking through binoculars and they see the zombies seemingly kind of asleep, right? before they end up they're like hibernating right um to that point i mean there that opening scene when the zombies break through there were a couple of parts to that that were you had to make a couple of really serious mental leaps to to get melanie to survive right like um uh, there's two soldiers um that end up taking helen away and one of them hits uh, i believe it was the asian gentleman that hit uh, Helen with like the butt of his gun and that when Melanie like jumped on him and started biting him his colleague or you know squad member whatever you call him she's just standing with a gun looking at her I feel like I don't know may- maybe I you know I'm not giving military members cre- enough credit but I feel like she would have got that kid if if she saw that happen right see that's part of the predicament that I think this movie really has a human layer to the zombie problem essentially where it's like normally if somebody would, nobody would ever hesitate if they see this undead thing, that skin is rotting and it's flat and it's revealing its bone and everything. And it starts attacking somebody. You're not going to hesitate to shoot that because it looks like a monster because it is a monster. But if you replace that monster with, I don't know how old Melanie's supposed to be like an 11 year old or a 13 year old, whatever you might hesitate in that this idea that she looks completely human and yet we know that when she smells other people or humans that she's going to eat them. And a really she does a couple of very important kind of costume changes, right? Throughout the that intro where we don't know really what's going on, all the kids are wearing pajamas. And then her first kind of costume change is when she eats that soldier and she's covered in blood now. This seemingly normal little girl is covered in blood, her face is covered, her mouth is covered, her clothes are covered. And then we get to the part where they actually escape that military base that gets overrun and they have her handcuffed and then they put that like Hannibal Lecter mask on her face. 
And it, like, that is such an iconic look, I feel like, for a movie that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. Like you said, you hadn't heard of the movie, and, I mean, yeah, a lot of people have seen the movie, but I feel like it's a movie that doesn't get brought up enough. And it's that's just such an iconic look that I think that's the poster of the movie, too, is her with the ma- uh, Hannibal Lecter mask with blood all over her face. And it's such a strange image that if you saw that image, you wouldn't, for me, I wouldn't not be able to click on that movie and be like, I have to find out what this is about. This doesn't look anything like a zombie movie that I've seen before. And I think it, again, it speaks to just the film being focused on kids is such a unique angle in that, I mean, the majority of the time kids play either the victim or they play little, little morons that run around and scream the entire movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's very rare that a kid is an unwilling antagonist. Yeah. I mean, I I think you hit the nail on the head with them being like, I don't know if necessarily Melanie is the antagonist in this movie. Well, an unwilling one, I would say for the humans. Cause yeah, she's unwilling. I mean, she, as that's the complex part is that the more we get like right away, you're taken aback by how severe everybody treats the kids before you realize what they are. And you're like, how can they be so cruel to these seemingly normal looking kids who are super polite? Like Melanie, not only is she incredibly intelligent, but she thanks and na- and uses all the soldiers by name. Meanwhile, the soldiers are pointing their rifles in their kid's face and they're calling them abortions and things like that. And there's that contrast between tones where she is so polite and kind versus these soldiers that are like, I'm going to shoot this kid in the face. And I mean, it really does kind of just speak to she's not able to control what she is, no matter how overtly kind she is to everyone. Well, to that point, too, right? She mentions, um, I believe it's when she's trying to go and save the group um, when they're in London originally, right? Um, And uh, they get like stuck in, I forget if it was the maternity ward or like a hospital wing. It's like Uh, a hospital wing. Yeah. And she has to go out and basically she brings back a dog that ends up getting the the zombie horde away from him. Um, She mentions to Sergeant Eddie that she can't lie. And I found that, I mean, that was just, that's a very interesting kind of a, a flip on that because I would think she would be trying to save her own life, you know, or however she kind of perceives that. Um, But she really does throughout the movie say things that if the main characters listen to her, you know, that being Sergeant Eddie or uh, Dr. Caroline or Helen, uh, they're going to, you know, be able to prosper a little bit better. And it seems like they keep minimizing her opinion because A, she's a kid, but also B, she's not fully, you know, human in that sense. Um, so it's, you know, again, the, the dichotomy of that, it's very interesting to see how that starts to play out. Um, where again, at the beginning, you don't really trust her. You see her as more of, you know, an innocent kind of bystander where towards the end, she, again, her character grows into this person where we basically trust her more than anybody else that's in this movie. Yeah. And that's the most interesting part again, of the kind of character relationships in the film in that at the beginning of the film, like I said before, Sergeant Parks is referring to the kids as like abortions and things like that. And he slowly begins to like, she begins to slowly grow on him, right? He starts to 
see her the way that Helen does. And we learned and we knew from seeing their uh, reactions at the beginning of the film that like he didn't spend a lot of time with the kids. And then the more he is forced to spend time with her, the more he becomes sort of attached to her. Right. She asks him, I think the first instance is that she asks him uh, what soft bullets are. And it's like, it's such an aggressive conversation to have with a kid like, oh yeah, the, these bullets, they're hollow points. So that way when they explode in somebody's head, the fragments stay in there or something like that. And it's, and she is like smiling the whole time he's saying this. And she's like, oh, thank you very much, Sergeant Parks after that. And it's like, he gives her this little look like, oh, okay, I'm just having a conversation with the kid. And we see more instances of that where the more he's forced to interact and like trust in her the more his kind of fondness grows for her in the same way that Helen does. And it really changes the perception of his character because at the beginning of the film, you're like, oh, this guy's a dick. But as the film goes on longer and longer, he's he kind of comes out of his shell more. And you see that he's just a guy that's been put in a shit situation. He's got a shit job. It's not, And he knows what the tests actually are that Dr. Caroline's doing, right? So the idea that he would become attached to any of them when the next morning they could just never be seen again because their brain is floating in a jar in her lab. Uh, it's pretty telling like why he has that kind of like cold exterior. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a, there's a couple of, I guess, homages to Hannibal in this movie. Again, you mentioned the mask, but the way that she talks to people is very similar. I find uh, to the way that uh, Hannibal Lecter talked to people in that first silence of the lambs movie, for instance, He's very courteous. He's, you know, he's almost pleasant to a certain extent, right? But given the chance and, and if he needs to, he will, you know, he'll fuck shit up, right? Same thing goes to Melly in that, in that sense. I mean, she's a very, you know, innocent looking person. But as we see with the cat, she will do whatever she needs to do to, to get her fill in that sense or to, to feel good. Um, so it, it's very unique though. Again, the way that that's structured. Um, I was interested, um, you know, kind of going towards, um, you know, the middle where, you know, we've lost Kieran, uh, I believe it will, or excuse me, we lost Dylan already. So it's, uh, Kieran, uh, Sergeant Parks, Dr. Caroline, Manny, Melanie, and Helen. Did you think that they were going to end up going to that army base? Um, or did you think more of that structure was going to be in that downtown London or, or London suburb area? Yeah. So I liked that it starts out in the very remotely, right? Like that military base is very remote. It's out in the country, essentially. And then we transition into the city, which you would never think to do. Like, that's the thing. I mean, think about you uh, are a fan of The Walking Dead. Think about if Rick Grimes, how that goes for him when you see all the traffic leaving downtown Atlanta and he's the only person going into the city. Like that shot alone tells you, hey, man, I think people were trying to fucking leave and not be in the most densely populated area. So this idea that they're so desperate to find survivors that they have to go downtown, I think it just makes for a more interesting or the opportunity arises for more interesting uh, narrative avenues for them to take. Like, I think that it's so fantastic that shot when they're looking through the binoculars and you just see hundreds of zombies essentially hibernating where they're just standing there. And if they hear the slightest noise, then they like kind of jump to and wake up and they go off and attack you and chase you and all these things. Um, so I like that. Plus just the kind of the set design, this is where kind of the comparison 
uh, to the video game The Last of Us comes into play a lot. Not only like the zombies in the film are it, uh, they come about because of like a fungus virus, which is the same exact thing in The Last of Us. But what I loved about The Last of Us more than the zombies is the portrayal of an urban environment where society has ceased to exist there and yet nature begins to reclaim it, right? So we get to that scene where they get deeper and deeper into downtown and there's more vegetation growing everywhere. We see like the double-decker bus that's blocking their way. It's all covered in vines and ivy and we just get a lot of really neat shots that impress upon us the idea that this has been going on for a long time. This is not a week into the infection. It's not a month. It's not a year. We might be five years into infection. We might be 10 years into infection. It's just this idea that things have not progressed in a very long time. And it kind of gives more validity to why people such as Dr. Caroline have accepted that their role is like, yeah, I'm going to be dissecting kids for the foreseeable future because that's the li- the length that I'm willing to go in order to try to save what's left of humanity. Right. Establish some sort of normalcy again. I mean, um, go. That was a very long winded answer to your question. I apologize. It was a good one. Though. Um, I mean, the, the thing that freaked me out about this and again, about Melanie's kind of character is um, she's very short and sweet to the point. Um, and again, she doesn't lie. So there was like, a scene when they're walking through a section of, of the downtown area and she's looking at a poster of like a cat kind of like peeking over a person or something like that. I forget what she was over, but um, Melanie and Helen are kind of staring at it. And then Helen says something akin to, would you like a cat? And Melanie goes, I've already had one today and just walks away. And again, you know, This isn't a comedic movie by any means, but there are there are certain moments that kind of uh, you know calm things down for the the viewers, um, you know, you know, just heart rate so to speak. But then 15 minutes later, you have uh, you know uh, Kieran who's walking through scavenging by himself, uh, and then we start to see those those photos of or excuse me those uh, shots of kids in the background. Um, So it just the waves that the director kind of puts us through where we have kind of a, a real, you know, somewhat of a, a relaxed moment and a, a comedic scene um, trans transposed, I guess, to, you know, again, the zombies are here and we have to figure out a way to survive. What was your thought seeing um, when they find that tower that has like that fungus growing from it? What was your kind of reaction to that when you saw it the first time? Well, before before I comment on the tower, I just want to go back to something you said in terms of like the humor of the overall movie where, right, there's these kind of like lines that are can be humorous or perceived as being humorous. And yet the whole film is permeating this kind of like depressing atmosphere that there's no real signs that like anything is getting better. Right. And it's it's something that I really appreciate about this movie that I think 28 Days Later did really well is in that that movie is very glum the entire time, right? There's barely any movies until the last five minutes or so of anything kind of like uplifting happening or anything that characters can really celebrate, right? Up until that point, when they get rescued at the end of 28 Days Later, like they are excited that they found a grocery store and they can get food. It's like little victories, right? Whereas in this, they have these brief moments of humor and yet there is a harsh reality behind it, right? She says oh, I already had a cat today. It's like, and she never explains what that means. It doesn't, she doesn't tell them like, oh, I just ate a cat 
because I can't help my own nature and instincts because of what I am. And I think I want to talk about this specific line um, more when we get to the ending, but she has that last line where um, Helen says to the kids that she's teaching now in her new school setting, she's like, oh, maybe I'll read a story if there's time. And it ends with Melanie being like, oh, there'll be lots of time. That's a funny line for a moment until you realize the ramifications of that in that Helen is going to live out the rest of her natural life in that mobile unit, which they discover later on. And like, so at the face value, that's kind of funny because it's like the kids now are in charge, essentially. The humans are not in charge. But then what does that mean for the humans? Oh, this is her life now. There's no other reality for her. Um, And so the film's balancing of kind of like humor without letting it get too carried away. There's always that kind of dark, depressing undertone to everything that's said. But uh, in terms of like the... Te- I was just say, sorry, real quick to, to that point. So there's at the very beginning of the movie, um, Melanie and Sergeant Parks are in a room together. Um, and I think there's three other soldiers. And Melanie says to Sergeant Parks, she loves me and she'll never love you or something akin to that. So underlying, you can kind of, there's some kind of a a pointing to Sergeant Parks having some kind of a a romantic feeling towards Helen. If he, if Dr. Caroline and Sergeant Parks had listened to Melanie, then Melanie, or excuse me, then Helen wouldn't be by herself towards that, towards the end of that movie, right? The same goes towards, it, it's a flip of a script where Dr. Caroline and the humans are studying the, uh, what was the term again? The hungries, right? Is that what they're called? Yeah, hungries yeah, the hung- is what they refer to the zombies as. So they're studying and trying to figure out what the hungries are and how they can learn from them. And at the very end of the movie, it's again, completely, the script is completely flipped around where now the hungries are learning from the humans. Uh, so just that kind of, you know, that, that curveball towards the end of the movie, I, I love that. And I, I think, again, to, to the director's point, they did a phenomenal job of, of portraying what they wanted to. And again, leaving us, although I think horrified, satisfied with, with how things ended up playing out. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, in terms of the zombies that we begin the film with, we see there's like these kid hybrids and then there's the traditional kind of runners uh, as they were. But what did you think of the idea that the film kind of focuses more in the second half on these hybrid kids, right? So we have Melanie, who's the hybrid, but she grew up in a nurturing environment where she was educated, just like all the other kids. I mean, granted, some kids were getting pulled to get tested on, but they grew up in a much better environment that is ignorant of what the outside world is really like. And then we see what it's like when we'll call them like feral kids, for lack of a better word, kids that are survive hybrid children that have survived in the cities all on their own. And they're very primitive almost, right? They only communicate in clicks and clacks. And we see in that moment where the hybrid children, feral kids kind of like hunt down the soldiers and the survivors and Melanie. And then Melanie has a face off with their leader. And the only way that they resolve that is Melanie beats a kid to death with a baseball bat, right? So it's this very kind of like, caveman alpha dominant society. And I was just curious, kind of like how you felt about them, including this new generation, as it were, of zombies. Well, I mean, you know, they talk about them evolving, right? And so I think if you look at how, you know, 
not not to make this a you know a history lesson, but humans evolved in a very similar way, right? We started off in caves and, you know, we were beating each other with clubs and fighting off, uh, you know, different animals and stuff like that. And then eventually we got to a point where we were able to, to communicate with one another in that kind of sense, you see, um, you know, there's a scene where as Kieran is walking, uh, you know, it's kind of transposed with Melanie up in that kind of balcony or top floor area, looking at this like little classroom of, of these feral kids playing around. And again, we've been told um, through Dr. Caroline's, you know, little soliloquy there in the, when they're in the hospital wing that these kids are like us, but they're not like us. So you start to see like they have face paintings and again, they're, they're not necessarily communicating in words, but there, there's some kind of communication going on. Um, so I, I think it's a very neat kind of a take on both, you know, that, that zombie idea, but also an evolution idea where is there going to be a third iteration of these kids, right? I mean, is this going to be a thing, you know, I'll be very honest with you. When they started talking about um, kids being born, I was like, are these zombies having, are these hungries having sex with each other? Like what the hell is going on? Right. Um, but is that out of the question then? If they are, again, starting to evolve and they're starting to learn, how far off is that reality? So, um, it, again, it, it gives us a lot of different avenues that they can go down that um, I think is very interesting to, to that effect. I mean, so that's a great point that you make because it that idea fuels the end of the film, right? It fuels this hard right turn that Melanie takes when – Dr. Uh, Caroline essentially gasses the other two survivors. She, he, she knocks out Helen. She knocks out Sergeant Parks. And it's just her and Melanie. And she tries to convince Melanie, give me your brain so I can synthesize a vaccine in this kind of like mobile lab that they find in the city center. And Melanie's about to do it, right? She's about to be like, yes, I'll give you my body to save these people. And then she realizes I'm I'm more human almost than or not that she's more human, but she views herself as being a person now through these experiences, through how the survivors have treated her and getting to know her. And she even asks Dr. Caroline that she's like, am I a person? Do you see me as a person? And Dr. Caroline thinks that she's doing the right thing by being like, yeah, sure. I see you as a person to kind of give her some type of uh, compelling her to want to help the humans that are remaining. And yet it instills in Melanie that it's if I'm a person, I shouldn't have to sacrifice myself and all of the kids that are just like me. Because if we're just like you in a certain regards, like our lives have value and meaning, why should we all have to die to save a dying people? And that idea is what drives the end of the film, right? And the twist in that she decides, I'm not going to help you synthesize a vaccine. And she goes and uh, sets those spores on fire, which release the zombie virus essentially all over the world. And that's like, Armageddon, essentially. Um, but it fuels that idea, like you said, that there's this new crop now of kids. They're eventually going to grow up and they're going to repopulate. And so it will, in essence, spawn a whole new generation of life. And this idea that you would snuff out one life for another, I think, is really at the heart of the character relationships and dynamics and what the film builds to in a really meaningful way and depressing way. Well, I mean... To that point, too, you just kind of gave me an idea. I mean, the when uh, Melanie breaks out 
um, of the when they're at the army base originally, right? Um, and the the hungries end up breaking through that fence. There's a scene where Melanie is kind of, like the camera's kind of panning in a circle to just give us a view of what's going on. And it's very difficult outside of when like the cars come in and the soldiers are shooting. It's very difficult to actually discern what, who are the people and who are the, um, the hungries. And I mean, again, outside of like seeing people getting eaten in that sense. Right. Um, but I think at it's very core, right. Humans are selfish and hungries are selfish. And she, uh, Melanie makes a point where, um, maybe the reason why they're kind of ganging up together, the hungries that is, is because they're lonely. So they have some kind of, you know, they're not necessarily human, right? But they still have some sort of human tendencies. So I wonder if that ended up I- I- impacting her way of thinking again, towards that end of the movie where she makes that decision being like, again, you guys have had your chance and look at where we're at maybe it's time for us to kind of go into a different direction and the world evolves into this being more of a reality. Uh, Now as a human, I'm very much opposed to that, obviously. Um, But in terms of like storytelling narrative, that's a really, really interesting kind of way of doing it that again, I think this is a really good example of a zombie movie that it is a zombie movie, but it's very different than, than your, you know, your normal kind of ones that we think of the classics, but it separates itself in a way where, I mean, I, you know, I think this is probably one, not one of my top five, but it's definitely in that top 10, top 15 of zombie genres in that, in that kind of sense. Yeah. I think this movie finds a really interesting balance of progressing the genre in a way that it, like it deals a lot with the next generation of zombies or the next mutation and what that looks like, but it never goes completely into like land of the dead territory where the walkers or the hungry start using guns and knives and all these different things. But it's very subtle in terms of like, we get that instance where we see one of the hungries and they're pushing a stroller. Right. And that's a very subtle moment, but it shows some type of human humanistic characteristics basically something from the past life, which again, it's not using weaponry and all these different things. Like we, you and I reviewed a hashtag live recently. And it's like the firefighter can remember how to repel up a building. It's nothing that drastic, right? It's more subtle. It's kind of, again, speaking to that maternal instinct and whatnot. But I think that the decision to kind of focus on the next generation and to have it be zombie kids, essentially that are it, that contrast I think is really interesting between uh, educated and kind of like feral, right? Because it shows the potential for both. And that's why the end of the movie, I think, is so powerful in that we have Helen who's trapped in that containment unit who's completely safe, but it's like a prison, right? She can't leave. And so we get all of, we get Melanie convincing all of the feral kids to go there so I, uh, Helen can teach them. And so we have that role reversal where at the beginning, Helen's in charge. And now the kids are, the hybrid children are in charge. And just seeing the potential for the next generation being more like Melanie rather than them being kind of like feral Roman gangs, I think is a really interesting idea that, again, progresses the next step of zombies in a way that is believable, in a way that is, again, it's all about the uh, the root of characters and their relationships. 
it's not about them having three arms or they're the size of skyscrapers or whatever. It's more about, oh, it, when you apply a human characteristic and human traits to these creatures, they in themselves become more inherently human. It's kind of, again, that nature versus nurture thing. Well, you know, again, going back to the point of like the roles being kind of reversed, you know, we th- tend to think that zombies are mindless. And then M- Melanie tells Dr. Caroline at the end, don't leave or you're going to die. And she makes, you know, she listens to whatever stupid part of her brain said, I should leave and follow her and try and save her. And she ends up, you know, I think rightfully so. I think it was a, a nice way to finish that character off where she ends up getting taken out by, you know, that gang of kids. Um, and same thing again to Sergeant Parks. I mean, he would have had the op- opportunity basically to live the rest of his life with Helen and they could have potentially had kids and then could have continued the human uh, species forward through that way in some kind of regard, right? Uh, whereas now, again, I love the ending, but I also hate it where, you know, again, the reality comes in where Helen has done all she could to save Melanie. And now Helen is a prisoner to Melanie's world, essentially, um, because of Melanie's world. So, um, you know, I, I love the way that it kind of closed off. But do you think that there's going to be a sequel to this? And would you be open to watching a sequel of it? So they did. There's a prequel book. So like The Girl with All the Gifts, is an, it's an adaption of a novel, right, of the same name. Um, and there's a prequel that the author wrote called, I believe it's called The Boy on the Bridge which takes place, it's a prequel. It takes place before The Girl with the Gifts. Um, and I would be interested in them exploring this world more. Um, I think I would prefer a prequel rather than a sequel, right? Because I'm not really interested in seeing how the zombie hybrids repopulate or whatever and start over, essentially. I'm not really interested in that. I'm more interested in seeing kind of like how the characters' relationships, not specifically these characters, but seeing how the world itself was, it became so susceptible and how it fell, essentially. I think the fall of something is more interesting than the rebuilding, um, narratively speaking. But I want to go back to Sergeant Parks' death, which you mentioned. And that, I think, is the most heartbreaking part of the movie because here's this guy that he was given out all this advice about how you treat hungries, right? At the beginning of the movie, again, he's been calling them abortions and all these things. He scolds Helen when she starts rubbing the top of Melanie's head because she's having that like affectionate moment for a minute. Um, and then he becomes grown, like she grows on him in a lot of ways. And you see like that cutesy little moment where he gives her the walkie talkie and she's all excited to learn how to use it. And they're playing with it. Uh, and they're talking to one, in- one another and things like that. And then he leaves the bunker, right. To go find her when the spores release essentially killing him. And he, and she's like, why'd you leave? And he's like, oh, I was worried. I was looking for you. It's ironic that if he had followed his own advice at the beginning of the movie, he would still be alive. And yet his character would not have had all that growth, right? Like his character grows exponentially more than any other character, I think, in the entire film. Um, but then a really interesting line is that when he's dying and being turned, essentially, he's like, oh my God, the world is ending. It's over. And then Melanie says, it's not over. It just isn't yours anymore. That's a moment that I think is, it's interesting because it's almost like humans in the environment, right? It's kind of like, if we treat the environment like such shit, eventually it's going to lash back out to a point where it's not inhabitable for us anymore. And it's 
the earth will always be here. It just, it might not be habitable for us and it won't be ours. We perceive it as being ours. It might not be ours anymore. Um, And so that I think is, and then of course, Melanie shoots him before he completely turns into a hungry. But I think that's the most heartbreaking part of the movie just because it shows, even if you have that growth, that growth and that um, not maturity, but kind of like being, being open to affection and things like that can eventually kill you in the end in this post-apocalyptic world, like loving something or trying to form a relationship with something can kill you just as much as any spore can. Absolutely. Well, you know, again, that's really interesting that you say that because again, at the beginning, I think if that same opportunity presented itself, Melanie would have let Sergeant Parks turn, right? They had a very, very poor relationship at the beginning um, but to your point, that character arc and that character development, I feel I, I don't like the character at the beginning, but I genuinely felt bad when when she shot him. So, again, you know, I think a lot of times and in a lot of shows and movies, you you have a character arc drawn out and we don't relate to those characters at all. Um, I related probably to Sergeant Parks more than any other character in this movie, just because I would have a very similar thought. I'm very much in that sense in the camp of we need to kill all these things. We need to protect humans. Um, whereas again, Melanie kind of gives him, um, you know, more of a philosophical answer. And I think that kind of helps, I don't necessarily calm him down, but gives him a little bit more closure that, and you know, this isn't necessarily the, the end, this might just be a new beginning. Um, and to, to, to your point, you know, it, it wraps a nice bow around on the movie that I think is, um, not necessarily happening in, in a lot of different zombie movies that are of good quality, but have very unfortunate endings or the way that they end. Yeah. And it's one of the few zombie movies I think that you can see both sides, right? Whereas in something, again, I use land of the dead all the time as an example, but in land of the dead, it's like the zombies are reclaiming something and it's like a metaphor for capitalism and all these different things. But it's like, it's very clear cut. Like you want the humans to win. You don't want the zombies to win in this. Again, it speaks this idea that the zombie film is based around children, right? And the next generation sort of thing. It's kind of like the worst thing ever would be for a parent to have to bury their child. Right. Whereas a child should always bury their parents. uh, Hopefully. Um, But it's one of those things where, again, it comes back to, do you really want, these hybrids to all die, even the feral ones at the same time, like the feral ones, it shows that that's in their, it's not necessarily their nature, but it's how they were raised, right? If you're going to be born in the ashes of civilization, yeah, you're going to roam in a gang where you kill anything that moves because you have to eat essentially, especially if you have certain compulsions that you can't help. Just like Melanie, like you made a comparison to Melanie being like Hannibal Lecter and the that's an apt comparison, except that Hannibal Lecter's 100% in control of his desire to kill. And we see that, I mean, more so in the TV series, like he's able to blend in and he only kills when he wants to kill. It's a compulsion, but it's one that he can control. He can decide whether or not he wants to kill you now or in a year or in 10 years, that kind of thing. Whereas Melanie, she has the intellect and she's very friendly and she's able to form relationships. And yet that urge to kill if it presents itself and it comes out, she is completely incapable of controlling that because it's in her instincts. But again, it, it speaks to just the idea that if Helen was not her kind of like mother figure, then she would be just like the feral children that they meet in the cities. 
And, you know, I, I can't, uh, we can't do this podcast without giving a shout out to the actors and actresses that played in this. Um, you know, the actress that plays Melanie Sanaya Nanua, I might have butchered that name, I apologize. But I, that's one of the best, uh, like, child actor performances I've seen in a long time. I mean, there was. I believe it's her debut. She's a hell of an actress. Um, she did a phenomenal job in this. Uh, I was really annoyed, to be honest, by the Helen or uh, Gemma Arterton's character, Helen. Um, but unclosed, Dr. Caroline, another phenomenal job. Uh, Patty Considine, who's Sergeant Eddie Parks. You know, I think they did a really, really good job on the casting of this. Uh, and it, it shows throughout the movie because those, those characters are super powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, again, it speaks to this idea that this is a very character-driven zombie movie. It's all about the relationships and the dynamics. And for the most part, I don't think there's a weak link amongst them. Like, they all embody these characters in such a believable way. And I mean, of course, Glenn Close is a powerhouse in anything. But even uh, Sunia, who it, this is her first time acting. I mean, she was in a short of some sort, I think, before this. But this is her first feature film. And she's such a complex character and she's played both like those moments of like childlike nature versus when she's fucking eating cats and eating soldiers. She plays both sides of that coin so incredibly well. And especially when she kind of like grows into more of this idea of accepting who she is, she accepts that she's not human. She accepts that she's part human, but she also embraces that side, that animalistic zombie side of her. And in embracing that, her character becomes just more and more complex and it's almost like her; she doesn't skip a beat in terms of the escalation of her character and her character realizing and kind of accepting that which she cannot change. Um, I mean, going from that sweet, innocent kid that's like naming all of the soldiers while she's talking to them with a rifle in her face to she's eating people, she's eating cats. But then at the same time, she's able to use those brief moments of humor, like you said, where she's like, oh, I already had a cat today uh, and or I've already had one. Uh, little moments like that, I think it shows her realizing just her process in understanding what she is and not being ashamed of it. Like she has that conflicting moment when she has that conversation with uh, with Dr. Caroline where she's like, I don't want to be this way. And Dr. Caroline's like, you don't have a choice. This is what you are. It's what you're always going to be. And that moment really kind of solidifies in her that if I want to live a life that's worth living, and especially when she, Dr. Caroline says, I see you as a person or I see you as a thing or not as a thing, but as having a, a soul for a lack of a better word, it really solidifies in her that my life has meaning and my life is just as valuable as your life. And so me giving up my life and all of those kids' lives doesn't really make sense if I am worthy of my life. Well, so I asked you that qu this question earlier um, about whose side you would have taken the armies or science looking at how the movie ended would you still have been in the middle or would you have gone more so in one of the other one of the two directions i mean i'm i'm human so i would probably want to go with the military and just be like you got to synthesize a virus a vaccine from this kid sorry but do you think that, again, I you know don't necessarily want to go too deep in the minutiae of this, but if that whole, you know, that whole structure was filled with those spores or, or spore eggs, I think they were called, right? Um, that would eventually 
you know, have that happen, they would be released. Um, would you have been on board with that happening sooner or later then? So I think the idea is, and this is why I think the narrative is so strong in that you can be in either camp, right? And both options or whichever side you would pick actually has a lot of merit to it in terms of the way that the narratives are branching. They had fixed that mobile medical unit. It's it's solar powered, so it's never going to run out of solar. And the idea that if they could synthesize a vaccine, they could roll up to other military bases all in the country. And there was like a... There's a quarantine room on that mobile base, so they could let in people, inject them, and then wait for them to be cured, essentially. Um, and so this idea that they could begin to repopulate and that they could use, because we see that Glenn Close's character has some type of like hazmat suit with a respirator, they potentially could go out and bring more and more people in, use the vaccine, and then they could sort of go out and start to rebuild certain areas granted, or they could go back to those underground facilities. Um, granted, I don't know how long that's really sustainable with if the spores ever stop falling or if the atmosphere ever goes back to normal. Uh, that's up for debate. But I think that the film does enough that it's conceivable that that avenue, that narrative avenue could work. What about you? Um, I would have been full military at the beginning. Uh, towards the end of it, I think when, if you're thinking about this and I, is the entire world um, like combating this? Do they ever mention that? Or is that just in, in England? I imagine, I mean, based on how COVID's going right now, I would imagine it's the whole world, but at the same time, even if it's not, even if it's isolated to the UK, that idea that the spores are eventually going to rupture it's going to go everywhere. All you have to do is breathe it in. So, And that's kind of like why they refer to it as being the end of the world. It's over, essentially, as Sergeant Park says. I think that in that regard, the it doesn't matter either way because of, the end goal is going to be the same. Even if it hasn't spread overseas yet, it's about to. So we have to do something. Right. And given how we produce N95 masks in this country, there's no way that they'd be prepared in time. Um, um, that, <laughs> that being said... Um, I probably, you know, if this is a thing where everyone's going to eventually die, I actually would probably then rather it kind of go quick because I would hate to, you know, if you think about it on a human level, if you're thinking about, okay, we're making progress in X, Y, and Z, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, think about how many different structures of that must exist not just in london but you know the other populous cities in england and let alone in the world if that's like that i mean you're talking about hundreds if not thousands of those kind of things right so you know one of those pops i think you know the rest would kind of follow in dominoes um so i you know i don't want to end this on too much of a depressing probably would have been more on the side of uh you know just letting it happen and then you know kind of letting you know, nature kind of take its course after that. In terms of like a, a movie though, I think this is the much more interesting ending, right? It's not, it's, it doesn't play out like you assume it's going to play out. It's more about, you're very conflicted about it because at the same time, like you're ecstatic that Melanie isn't getting killed essentially. Cause much like all the other characters, we form a bond with her, even if she's not completely human, we care for her in a certain extent. Um, but then at the same time, it can't be ignored that, for Melanie to survive, 
Helen has to be in prison now for the rest of her natural life. This idea, she can't leave that mobile unit. And I think it stands to reason that the older that the kids grow, the less they would want to be inclined to helping her find survivors or anything like that, right? This idea that the kids, the hybrids become empowered, right? Melanie is very empowered that their lives have meaning. They own the world, essentially. And this idea that they would ever want to help humans or they wouldn't at least be in some kind of conflict with humans that weren't Helen is very unbelievable. Like if they find survivors, there's no inclination that they would want to help them because as soon as humans find out what they are, what are humans going to do? They're going to want to eliminate them. So this idea that the narrative, you're just very conflicted because Helen is seen almost as the protagonist early on because she's the only one that's nice to the kids. When in actuality, Melanie is the protagonist. And like I said, I described her as the uh, an unwilling antagonist at the same time. Uh, something interesting, I haven't read the novel, but apparently the novel is told through five, the five characters' points of view. And so it's more introspective, like getting a look behind their mind. But I think the film does such a fantastic job of kind of putting all those experiences and putting us solely in the shoes of Melanie. Like, again, I haven't read the book, but considering it's almost 500 pages and this movie is just under two hours, I think this is a really solid adaptation in terms of having a fairly large cast of survivors and yet they're all established really, really well. You know who they are in terms of like where they stand on certain things. And there's a, a fair amount of growth in each of them. Even characters like Kyrian at the beginning, who's like, oh, I, he's got a gun in her fa- this kid's face. At the end of it, she's reading him like nighttime stories or bedtime stories, right? So it shows that all of these characters have so much growth, even if a character like Kyrian doesn't necessarily have a great deal of dialogue. No, I, I, I fully agree with you. And again, I, I like movies that are left somewhat ambiguous or um, kind of leave the ending to imagination on what could happen rather than actually a, a finality to it. Um, but I will say that the last part, at least for my end, I mean, I, I love zombie movies. There has to be one scene in every zombie movie where someone gets ripped to shreds. And that scene where um, Kieran is in that little like shopping center area, he's picking up uh, what were those cans of beans or something like that. It looked like, and then he ends up going underneath, um, going into the the store. That entire four minute scene, or however long it was, felt like a continuous panic attack for me because you know what's going to happen, but like. Again, you're just watching it unfold completely helpless. And he's a very, you know, he wasn't a, he's a peripheral character in that sense. He's not a main character, but it was very interesting to see the dynamic of, um, you know, he had what seemed like, was that a grenade that he was going to, yeah. And he was like, you know, don't come close to me. I'll do this. And he didn't. Um, again, to your point, because maybe because they're kids or, and he saw them like that, uh, or, you know, because he was scared to some extent. Um, but at the beginning, again, you see these, these soldiers who are, you know, they're, they're soldiers, right? They're, they're protecting what they think is, or they're protecting what's theirs in the military base and they're trying to keep everyone safe. Um, but towards the end of it, they become more human 
And I think that's a really interesting piece that the director touched on where, again, where if this was in a group of soldiers, I don't think he would have that response, but because he's kind of alone and it seems to, he's somewhat normalized these things, um, those, you know, second generation hungries. Um, it's very interesting how that kind of played out. And ultimately, unfortunately we see his kind of carcass at the end there. And that was, that was everything I wanted <laughs> yeah. in a zombie movie. <laughs> I mean, before, before we wrap up, I think that's a great point in that like the classic thing about the military is, is the military's number one thing before they ever encounter the enemy is those in charge of the military or the army or whatever, you have to demonize the enemy, right? So to the point where you can't allow your soldiers a moment of hesitation. They're there to, there's that mantra like kill, 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 whatever. This idea that you have to be prepared not only physically, but mentally to kill your enemy. And traditionally in zombie movies, why would you have any hesitation shooting a half-dead corpse in the face? Like you wouldn't because it looks like a half-dead corpse and you know it'll rip you apart, uh, to shreds. But the very clever decision to present these soldiers or these survivors with a type of enemy in addition to the hungries, like the, the running hungries, the hybrids, it's an enemy you can't really demonize. Even at the beginning when you hear Sergeant Park saying all these horrible things about these kids and describing them as monsters and all of these things, at the end of the day, it's a kid. So you might act tough and hold a gun and point it at it, but when it comes to it, are you really able to pull the trigger or pull the pin on a kid? And the reality is, is that no training is going to be able to prepare you for that because even if it's Melanie who's got blood on her face, it's still a little, I don't know, 13-year-old kid or however old she's supposed to be. But uh, this was a really fantastic zombie movie to pick to talk about today. And it's one that I think does so many different things unique. And yet I don't hear a ton of people talking about it. And I mean, on a rewatch, this is probably, I would say this is probably my top five zombie movies in terms of just how unique its narrative is. And even though it is very character driven in a lot of ways, like there's that old kind of standby, like it's either very horror action oriented in the terms of like zombies getting decapitated and getting killed in massive numbers, or it's all about the characters. I think the girl with all the gifts forms a really nice merging of those two, where you still get some shootouts with the zombies. We have that massive chaotic military breach where the hordes come in and there's people getting eaten left and right. But then a lot of time is dedicated to these complex characters and their very complex and kind of unique predicament they find themselves in. I, I fully agree with you. I mean, I, I think this carves out a very interesting niche for itself. And, um, you know, I'm definitely looking forward if they're going to do a prequel to this. Like I said, I don't know if necessarily a sequel would be worth it, but if there's a prequel to describe more of how this came about, um, I think there's definitely some interesting avenues that they'd be able to take with it. Absolutely. But as always, man, it's a pleasure having you on and I'm looking forward to uh, maybe kickstarting a series review with you in the future. I think we talked about this a little bit. We won't spoil it now, but uh, we're going to move off from zombie movies with you for a little bit and maybe start a series review of a uh, a classic horror series, but I'll leave it at that. But as always, I loved having you on and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Appreciate it, brother. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow at Daily Horror Habit on Instagram and at Daily Horror Pod on Twitter.